You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter, chapter 4. We're continuing our series, Walk This Way. It is a... Uh, Good time in the Word. I think it's even better in the sense that uh, it is on point for where we are in our life as a church. It is a good reset for who we are and what we want to do and who we want to be as the church. It is the Word of God that leads us to who we are and what we should be and who we are to become in Christ. And this particular area of the book of Ephesians, as uh, Dave did a great job last week stepping in. Didn't he do a great job last week bringing the Word? As he did a fantastic job leading us in the Word last week, it is something I want you to ponder and think about, that as he kind of gave a a little bit of a breadth over the history and where things were and what was going on in that time frame and how this fit into the life of the church, I want to bring something we talked about a long time ago when we started in Ephesians, and as you know, we've been working through that for quite some time in bits and pieces. I want you to recognize that this letter that Paul wrote under the leading and inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Ephesus was what the theologians would call an ecclesiastical, can't even talk today. You know, pray for me. It's been a long week, you know. Uh, a lot of tiredness. My wife's even way more tired than I am, but it's going to show today in my tongue, I'm afraid. So um, good thing we're talking about speech a little bit. I, I want you to know it's, it's an ecclesiological letter. That means it's a letter to the church about how to be the church. And so as we look at this text today, and as we've been walking through this series called Walk This Way, it's talking about how we should walk as the church. And that that wording, to walk, means how we do life. And this is a letter to the church as a whole. And oftentimes I find in our culture we read things, and because the English language does this tricky thing where the word for you singular is exactly the same as the word for you plural, we oftentimes internalize things on an individual level and don't tend to gravitate towards the corporate reality of what's going on as we're reading the word. Now, part of that's because we've been steeped in a culture that says everything is to be your way, talking about you personally, and you can have it exactly how you want it, and everything's being catered that way in our social realms and in the marketing and business place world around us. But I want us to take note that this letter is written to the body. And while there are elements that, of course, apply to the personal, we cannot go through any of these scriptures and not recognize that it's got an element to it that's not just individual, but that's corporate, and we all play a part. And I know that we talk about that regularly in here, but it is something that we've got to press in on, because if not, we'll just think about what I have to do and how it affects me and how it affects my family, how it affects my job, how it affects my personal walk with God. And those things are all true, but it also affects the church, and that part is every much as vital. I don't know about you, I remember growing up in this area hearing all the time that you need a personal relationship with Jesus. And we talked about how that faith is a personal faith. I often heard the words private faith, but there's no such thing in the scriptures as a private faith. There is a personal faith in the midst of a corporate body of believers, and every one of us is an important member of that body. And this passage today is going to help us to understand a little bit about what that means. Let's let's look at it together 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. We're going to go through chapter 5, verse 2. And this is a good little check, by the way, if you're a student of the Bible, which you all should be aspiring to become. Uh, you'll notice that these letters and, and, and numbers sometimes in the Bible are in places that divide things up in a way that aren't necessarily the way they should be divided. In fact, just as a reminder, all the verse numbers, chapter numbers, headings, all that stuff wasn't a part. This is a letter originally. It's been divided up for sake of ease of use. And we use those to make them across all translations where it's easy to find where we're talking about something in the Bible. But sadly, it's divided up something that I believe and many theologians believe should not be divided here. So we're going to bridge the gap from chapter 4 to chapter 5 today. We're looking at chapter 4, verse 25 through 5, 2. Let's look at it, read it, then we're going to pray together, and then we're going to try to unpack it. But just as a reminder, real quick, verses 17 through 24... Reminder, he's talking about that the positive side starting in verse 20 is that if we've learned Christ, if we are in him, if we know him, if we've been taught him, which he's assuming they have because he was the one teaching them originally. He says, it's time that you put off the old self, which belongs to the former you. In other words, you've been bought in the precious blood of Jesus and your old life is dead. So lay that part aside. And now put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he begins in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father, please help us this morning to see where we need to become more like Jesus. Please lead us on your path your path of righteousness for your name's sake and help us to put off the old self and to put on the new self that's being renewed day by day, our mind, our hearts, our behavior, so that we might give you honor and glory in how we live. Help us to use every moment to serve and honor and glorify you and to enjoy you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read that one more time. I want you this time to peer into not only the things he's telling you to do or not do, you'll notice that all the negatives are then paired up with the positive converse of that. But I want you to notice specifically that each one of these things is meant to benefit others and not just self. All right, look at it again with me, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. See, it's about not grieving Him. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Thank you, Jesus, for making that possible. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Notice all those things are always in in conjunction with other people. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, I believe the end part is saying to us, and all these are commands about what to do and what not to do and who to be, but I want you to recognize, I think at the end, in in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, is kind of the summation. He says, because of all this stuff I just mentioned in the particular Therefore, the positive restatement of this, he then says, is to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So therefore, I want to say to you today, I think we are becoming, that we are a people who are becoming imitators of God and loving like Jesus, and that should be our aspiration imitators of God. There's not other places where you see it say imitate God in the scriptures. In fact, this is one of the only places where it says it directly, clearly imitate God. It doesn't say to do so in his anger or in his wrath or in his holiness, although we are to be holy like he is holy, but it says directly do this, be imitators of God and how? Walking in love and the love that Christ has shown us. In fact, let's look at those verses briefly and kind of unpack them because it's at the core of what this is all about. And here's the big question you should be asking yourself. Can I, how should I imitate God in this way? How do I understand what this looks like? And so we're going to let the words around those those commands help us for a brief moment. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If we can't do this, we're not being the church. Jesus made it very clear that they will know you by the way you love one another. And we know that for many churches, for many of us, we struggle with loving one another in this way. We have seen it up close. We see it from afar. But it is exactly who we're supposed to be. Now, what does that mean? How do we imitate God? First of all, to imitate God, you must be intimately involved with him. You cannot imitate someone that you do not know intimately. 
So in order for you and I to imitate him, we must spend time with him in his words, spend time conversing with him, listening to him, learning about him. This is part of why it's so important for us to be in a small group where we seek life transformation through the word and the, in the, in the community of one another where we can help to shape one another. It's important that we understand, though, that this is not just corporate. It's also individual, but it is always a part of the corporate body becoming who we are meant to be. By us imitating him, we can only do so if we are intimately involved. Another part of imitating God happens when we realize that we are his children, not only his children, but his beloved children. You imitate the father who loves you so much that he was willing to give at that point in time the only obedient son, the one who's worth more than all of creation, through whom and for whom and by whom all things were created, for you to be brought into his family so you could also be sons and daughters with him. So recognizing that and what he's done for you by sending Jesus to live the life we could not live and die the death we deserve on the cross, taking our sin upon his shoulders, that father has now taken his enemies and turned us into his not only friends, but his sons and daughters. And I don't know if you've ever been around young children, but it's not too often that you see young children who aren't trying to imitate someone they know, love, and respect. Maybe you're in some type of career path and at some point in time your child said something about trying to be like you. That happened to anybody in here? Just a few? Come on, anybody? Don't tell me. I, I, I just let me say, I worked at Goodyear. I know, and your son or daughter thought that was the coolest thing ever because daddy did that. Or mommy worked in some other profession and, and they want to be just like mommy. Because they want to imitate. They imitate how you talk. That's why you got to watch what you say because they'll say it in front of everybody else because they imitate you. Amen? This is important to recognize because as beloved children, if we are his, we will imitate him. He's stating a command, but he's also just stating a truth. It's helpful to know if you're not imitating him and you're not striving to imitate him, if you don't love him in a way that drives you to want to be like him, then maybe you're not of him. And that needs to be fixed first and foremost. Because to imitate God means to walk in the love like Jesus has loved us. Look at those words. And walk in love, chapter 5, verse 2, as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us. This is a substitutionary sacrifice kind of love. This is a love where he gave his life over to a greater purpose than only being adored and worshipped, but to redeem. And he's saying that we should love in the way that Jesus has loved us. That means to give ourselves up, to give everything within us up for the greater purpose of the redemption and the salvation of the lost and the building up of the body and the worship and praise of the Father. That everything about us should be given over to this because we are to love in the same way that Jesus has loved us. And God calls that a fragrant offering. Pitching us back to Old Testament ideas about sacrifice, when sacrifices were given and God was pleased with the sacrifice, it was the aroma of the smoke rising that was a fragrant, pleasing element to God the Father to show that his people were in the right place relationally with him. And so this is what we're called to do, to imitate God and love like Jesus, sacrificially, selflessly, 
Every moment in this life is a choice for you to honor and glorify God or honor and glorify the enemy, the devil. Every moment, whether you're speaking or thinking or acting, hoping, yearning, every moment is a choice for you to honor and glorify God or honor and glorify the enemy. I mean every moment. That's why Paul says to take your thoughts captive in other places. Let's break it down a little bit here. I want to start off by covering the areas. And I'm going to take all these things that are said in a very, very great dialogue. And it's really a monologue, but he's written like he's talking with those to whom he's writing. And so it feels like a dialogue. But he's writing it in a very conversational style. And I'm going to give it to you in a little bit more of a lecture format. So we're going to break it down into three parts Uh, maybe four. The first one is we need to imitate God with our words. You know, God is a speaking God. God spoke everything into being. That out of nothing, he created all things simply by speaking it. Words are powerful. Amen? Words are powerful. You know words are powerful because they change who you are. They change how you act. They impact you for all of life. And I may have told this story before, and my grandmother would be really upset with me for sharing it even now. I believe. But when she was very young, somebody used their words to say that when she smiled, she looked ugly. And so you know what happened for the rest of her life? When people went to take a picture of her, she refused to smile. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. And we are to speak our words in a way that imitates God. Every word you speak is either an offering of grace or an opportunity for the devil. Just saying those words breaks my heart for my own misuse and careless words. Every word we speak is an opportunity for grace or an opportunity for the devil. Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, that's putting off the old self, no more lying, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for, here's the reason why, why do you do that? For we are members one of another. We belong to one another. So let us speak the truth with our neighbor. We should speak the truth in love because we are members one of another. This is mirroring Zechariah 8, 16. I'll read also verse 17. These are the things that you shall do Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. So this negative side of speaking truth but not speaking lies, that's the negative, right? Don't speak the lies. Don't have falsehood coming out of your mouth. Uh, I want to share with you something that we all know, but we need to be reminded of. And I'm constantly reminded as I share this with my children as they're learning these truths, that being dishonest is never being loving. Sometimes we don't want to upset the apple cart, and so we won't say a truth. Now, some of us are really good at saying truth, but we don't say it in love, and that's also upsetting, isn't it? If we're to love like Jesus, be imitators of God and love like Jesus, we have to say the truth in love. And sometimes there's some truths that don't need to be said, so hear me right about that. 
You don't have to tell me how I really look every day. You know, I don't need to hear it. We don't have to say things in backhanded compliments ever. And we don't have to always say everything we think. Some of us need to insert a filter. We know who we are. But being dishonest is never being loving. Let's do what our mamas told us, which if you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. That's biblical. And sometimes saying the difficult things in a relationship is the best way we can love one another. You know what happens when we don't say the difficult things? We end up harboring resentment or bitterness. Or we start to avoid people that we love. We let things that are probably small things that may not even be real things become great things. Sometimes we go and try to say things that are in love, that are truth, and we get responses that are not very loving or not very open. And so then we cut that off and say, well, I've learned my lesson on that, but that's not the way of imitating God. Speaking the truth in love to your neighbor is the way of imitating God. It's what Jesus did. Look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Isn't that interesting? Be angry. He's commanding you to be angry and do not sin. They're paired together. You can't just be angry, right? But be angry and do not sin. This is a really important statement because you can be angry and be righteously angry or just experience an emotional response to something that happened and be angry and not sin. But that's not often how most of us end up, is it? Most of us end up being angry and falling into sin, which gives opportunity to the enemy. I believe that here what the statement is being made to say to us in different words might be stated like this. Use your anger to drive you to the cross of Jesus. When you get angry, remember how Jesus was righteously able to be angry, but instead said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And no one has been betrayed like Jesus has been betrayed. No one has been hurt like Jesus has been hurt. I don't belittle anyone's hurts or betrayals, but no one has experienced it like Jesus. So you think someone that you know and trusted has betrayed you or has fallen before you out of their place that you place them on their pedestal and you've kind of written them off or you've kind of decided that you're not going to go there again? Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you did not see us that way and treat us in those ways. Amen. It is hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but let your anger drive you to the cross, not into the arms of the enemy. Because he is seeking to devour and destroy, always. We're going to skip down a few to the next one, talking about language. Look at verse 29. We'll come back to the others. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Say it again, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. 
Now, some people are slow to speak and quick to listen naturally. I know some of you in here are like that. Some of you have worked really hard to become that way. And some of us, notice the inclusion of self here, are quick to speak and we have to put the brakes on often if we're going to do it well. Here, the statement by the Holy Spirit to us through Paul, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That word for corrupting talk is the word for rotten. It's used of bad fruit in the Bible. But no corrupting talk, no rotten, disgusting, smelly, not holy talk come out of your mouth. That doesn't just mean certain words that start with certain letters. It means anything that is denigrating, anything that is hurtful, anything that leads others to think sinful thoughts, any, anything that you say that might not only hurt the soul, but might lead the soul to not put eyes on Jesus, might lead the other way. So we might say, be careful to build up with your words here. As he goes on after that first part of saying, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up. See, that's the body of Christ. Your job, my job, is to build up one another. Now, that does not mean you build up people in their sin or in their being not with God. It means that you build up the body of Christ by speaking in such a way that gives honor and glory. That you, you build up the body. And that you also build up one another personally, and that you build up even your co-workers and your friends. And the way you build them up biblically is to build them up to put their eyes on Jesus, to encourage them to look to Jesus as their one and only hope. Let it be that our language would be in this way, for he goes on and brings even more clarity and says, as it fits the occasion for building up, that it may give grace to those who hear. So our language is highly important. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 10, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Are we so worried about what everyone else is saying and doing that we don't notice how our statements hurt or tear down or don't build up? That's the thing. If we're not building up, we're probably tearing down. If it's not something that drives people to grace, it's probably leading them away from grace. That's a hard one. We must ask the Lord to show us. But let us strive to become imitators of God and walk in the love of Jesus toward one another in how we speak. To speak like God, imitate Him in that way. Look at verse 28. This is a short one, but we need to imitate God not only in how we speak, but also in how we work. In how we work. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, I don't know all of you infinitely, but I don't know too many of you that I've heard the stories where you were thieves. So you may think this doesn't apply to you. But let me say this. The church, when it began was filled with people who were seen by society as the bottom feeders. The church was filled with people who had to hear this because they were thieves. Some of them might be daily workers who in off-seasons didn't have money 
And so they were getting paid daily for their wages, and they didn't have money. They had to steal to make a living for their family. They had to steal just to have food on the table. But there were people who were the slaves. Some commentators think this is to the slaves, that these people that were thieves, that were stealing. He's saying, now do honest work with your hands, which doesn't mean you have to work with your hands. It's, a, it's kind of an idiom saying you accomplish the work that you're called to do. You don't let somebody else get you know, do all the work and you get paid for it by stealing time or by stealing things or by stealing reputation. But instead, you need to work hard so that you can share it with other people. Right? This is why you do it. But let me just bring something to to our minds as kind of an aside to this. If this doesn't speak to a whole lot of us directly, maybe we're not reaching the people that Jesus reached in the first century and we need to start trying to reach them. Do you hear what I'm saying? Maybe this doesn't speak to us directly, and none of us have had to struggle with those things. I guarantee you there are people in our community who have to struggle with how ends are going to be made week to week and day to day, and they need the love of Jesus. And there's not a lot of people that seem to be reaching a lot of people in that class of folks. I hate the word class, but to use it here in a most appropriate way, just by default. Maybe the face of our church needs to change a little bit, and the people that come in, maybe you need to be worried a little bit if you locked your doors or didn't when you came in, you know, because we're reaching people that are different than us, different than you, because I know that a lot of folks go for those who are well-to-do or aren't struggling, but I don't know of a lot of churches in our community that are making a concerted, honest effort to reach people that nobody else is trying to reach, those who are struggling, those who are hurting. You know what that takes? It can't just be a corporate action. It has to be my action and your action individually. Corporately, we do it, but as we go out, we make connections with people and we strive to go to the outcasts. We strive to go to those that no one else is going to. This weekend uh, is the anniversary of my father's death. And my dad, I love my dad. My dad was not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. I got lots of stories I could tell you about that. There's a lot of faults in my dad. But one of the things that I used to get mad at when I was young is something that I love about him even more now as I'm older. He spent a lot of time with people that I didn't want to spend time with. Trying to learn a new language so he could reach people that other people weren't reaching in our community or trying to be in the jails where he could talk to people giving up his Saturdays to do that, to reach people for Jesus. And I'm not saying you've got to do that. I'm just saying, what can you do, how God's gifted you, to reach someone that nobody else is going to reach? And it seemed to get missed by everybody in society. I know it's not even in the Scripture here exactly like that, but oh, it's in the Scripture. (laughs) I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Jesus, when did we do this? When were you in prison? When did we feed you? He says, oh, but for the least of these that you've done, you've done it for me. Maybe that's something we can pray about together, individually. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Our work is not just for us or our family. 
is for people in need. It's for people in need. So let us strive to become imitators of God and walk in the love of Jesus in the way that we work to serve others, not just ourselves, just like Jesus has done for us. Thirdly, how about we imitate God in our response to our emotions? Don't check out on me, you folks that don't get in touch with your emotions very often. I've been accused a lot earlier in my life as being someone who is seen as emotionally vacant. I know that up here you see me get emotional, I get overwhelmed a lot under the word of God by the Holy Spirit, but uh, I've struggled to get in touch with emotions, so I'm with you if you're one of those folks with emotions. I didn't even know what they were for a long time. Let me say that God has a purpose for your emotions, and it's to lead you to him, not to lead us to the enemy or into sin. So let us imitate God in our response to our emotions. You know, your response to your emotions reveals your primary love. You know that? Maybe you don't care if people do something to you, but you get really upset if they do something to your family. That's normal. You know? Someone you love and care about gets hurt and you get upset. That's normal. That's, that's a lot like God, by the way. <laughs> but do you respond in ways that give honor to God is the question. It really reveals your primary love. Because if you honor and love God above all things, then you will put your emotions under the check of making sure that you respond to them in a way that gives him honor. You'll become aware of those, taking every thought and heart captive under leading the Holy Spirit. You see, God is holy even in his anger. He's holy. But we rarely are, are we, in our anger. We start out that way. But I want you to hear me say, it's not wrong to be angry. It's not. It's not wrong to be angry. But it is wrong to hold on to your anger and to let it lead you into the territory of the enemy's behavior. And let us be careful not to assume that our anger is righteous. Okay? Oftentimes when I think that my anger is righteous, what's really happening is that my anger seems to be that way on the surface. But really, it's more of a pharisaical anger where I'm looking down upon someone else and thinking they should be more like me when really I'm not even that way. And they should do it like this. Why would they do that to me? Shouldn't they have thought of this when I'm not even thinking about where they are in that moment and what might have led them that way? I don't know about you, but my righteous indignation is not very righteous when I really put it under the gospel microscope. Let's be careful to assume that it is. Look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Use your anger to drive you to the cross, not into the arms of the enemy. What I mean by that is when you get angry, when you get upset, when your heart is turned to anger, make sure that you don't give yourself over in a moment because when you're heated and emotions are rising, it's easy to become so zeroed in that you're not even recognizing when you're stepping outside the boundaries of holiness so that the enemy will use you and have a heyday, not just in your own life, but in the lives of those you're interacting with. 
and corporately, let's think about that, in the lives of the body of the church. I think it's unique here that he says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. And then right behind it, do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, there has to come a short ending to the anger where you forgive and seek reconciliation if it's necessary. You may just need to forgive. You may, the other person may not even know that you're angry at them. You just may need to forgive. But if there is destroyed relationships, then there has to be a short timeline on that anger before it leads into sin. So that's why he's encouraging you to not let the sun go down in your anger so that you can deal with it quickly and push it where it needs to be to drive you to the cross and ask the Lord where you need to be in that moment. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit who has sealed you for the day of redemption. Isn't that a weird word, to grieve the Holy Spirit? I've oftentimes seen that and just simply thought about the fact that we might be grieving him in the sense of just making him really sad. Look what I've done for you, and you're just like ruining it, Thomas. Look what I've done for you, and you're just wasting it. Look what I've done for you, and there you go again. But that's not how God seems to interact with his children. I believe here when it's talking about grief, it's talking about what some of us have experienced as of late in some major ways. It's heart-wrenching sorrow because of the love you have for another. So, so think about it maybe like this when we read verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. All these things he's talking about, don't do these things, but don't, don't speak corrupting talk. Don't, don't speak in that way. Don't let your anger lead you into sin. Don't, 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 let, don't let your speaking be with, filled with falsehoods. I think it breaks the Holy Spirit's heart toward us saying, I love you so much and I've sealed you for the day of redemption. Please, don't let that sin ruin this moment or ruin this relationship or ruin your church. Ruin your family. Grieved. Watching the one he loves so much and is sealed for the day of redemption walk into sin unknowingly or unawares or even willfully. So church, let us not grieve the Holy Spirit any longer. Let us not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we have been sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, he goes on, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. When Jesus is your first love, you lay down your life daily, even in your anger. And so he's saying that here, let all these things be put away from you. And let's just break them down a little bit by questions. I'm not going to get into all the Greek and all the words and what they mean. I'm just going to break it down a little bit for us by questions. So just listen and, and maybe these will help us to understand and maybe even search our hearts. Oh, Lord, help us search our hearts. Are you harboring any bitterness or resentment toward another person right now? Let it be put away from you. 
That means give it over to the Lord. He died to wipe that away from you, as in part. Is there any rage brewing within you? The wrath, this anger, any rage brewing within you, any seething anger? You may not notice it all the time, but maybe when that person walks by, it just wells up within you. Maybe when you're scrolling through Facebook and their name pops up and you just scroll faster because it just gets all over you. You swipe their story over. You're not going to watch any of their stuff. Is there any of that seething anger building up within you? When it builds up and rises within you, how do you respond? Does it lead you to run to Jesus? Does it lead you to, to pray for them and for that relationship again? How about this? Are you quick to lash out with your words or maybe go to swinging punches in any given conversation with someone? Are there some people that just right now get on your very last nerve when they start talking the first moment, not later on? Look at those words again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. That word is often interpreted brawling. Are you quick to go toe-to-toe with someone? Are you quick to attack or get defensive and hit back really quickly with your words or with your actions of turning around and leaving the room to show them? I'm not going to make him his coffee this morning, right? I'm going to let her find her own toilet paper tomorrow. You know, even the passive aggressiveness, it's telling of our hearts. It tells us where we are. We're supposed to imitate God who provides for us every day is ultimately provided for us in Jesus, who died on the cross knowing every time we would go against him, knowing every moment we would walk away, knowing every moment we'd willfully go against what he's commanded and willfully tread on the blood that he spilt on the cross. Are you ever driven in your pride to malicious anger, even just thinking through what you want to do, even just thinking through what you think should happen to them? Instead of seeing Christ-like humility as you bow before the Lord at the cross, remembering that it's our sins just like that that hung him there. When Jesus is our first love, it changes everything. But we have to be intimately involved daily in order to become imitators of him and to love like him. Look at verse 32 with the encouraging admonishments here. Be kind to one another, just as God has been kind to us. All through the Old Testament, he's referred to as the kind God, showing kindness to thousands upon thousands, continually merciful, kind. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. That doesn't often describe me when I'm offended. But it was Jesus on the cross. You know, he even gave opportunity for the Pharisees to repent. The Romans to repent. Our hearts need to be tender. He can make them so. Go back face to face with him and ask for forgiveness yourself, as I have to do. Be kind to one another, tender hearted. Forgiving one another, 
Not when they ask you to. It doesn't say that. Just forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. What would it look like if we were tenderhearted at all times, thinking of others first, putting ourselves in their shoes, even when we were the ones done wrong, just like Jesus did for us? Is there anyone that you need to forgive today? Maybe I need to be forgiven by you. Maybe I have failed you. Maybe someone in this room has hurt you. Maybe somebody here needs your forgiveness and they don't even know it. Maybe you need to speak the truth and love to them so that you can restore the relationship. Maybe you need to work a little bit more to respond emotionally to your emotions in a way that drives you back to the cross and back into fellowship with somebody today. Matthew 6.12 is in Jesus' prayer telling us how to pray. And he says to repeat these words in your prayer time in Matthew 6. In this particular verse, he says, And forgive us our debts, talking to the Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is a very scary statement. Forgive me like I've forgiven others. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. So that we might be imitators of you. So that you might be honored and glorified and we might be able to love one another and those outside like Jesus has loved us. Those two verses in chapter 5. Therefore, church, therefore, 12th Street, be imitators of God as beloved children. He loves you so much. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father, we need your grace and mercy this morning. Would you work in us? Would you lead us to repentance? Would you lead us to find our hope only in Jesus? And would you help us to not overcome but to submit to you, Father, that we might be close to you so that we might imitate you and begin to walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. Lord, help us to give ourselves up. Help us to give up the anger, the malice, the slander, the clamoring. Help us to give up the corrupt talk Help us to give up the shifty work ethics. Help us to give up the laziness. Help us to give up the emotions that hold us captive so we can find freedom in your son, Jesus. Lord, we seek freedom. We live in a country that knows what freedom is like, yet our souls remain often wrapped up in chains to these things. Lord, free us this morning. 
not just to have joy in our freedom for freedom's sake, but to have joy as we are face to face with you, enjoying you unhindered because of your gracious gift to us in Jesus, your son. May he be the one who receives all the glory, all the fame. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.